Hey guys, this is Nisha from So Here's What Happened and Did You Have To? Throughout the month of October, podcasts like ours and others in the Bawaii Geek community are fundraising for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital so that all kids can enjoy the spookiness of Halloween without the scariness of childhood cancer. You can donate now at stjude.org forward slash Bawaii Also, our community will be performing challenges when certain amounts of donations are made to our page. For example, for $15, I will eat five pieces of disgusting candy corn for a great cause. To learn more about how gamers and content creators worldwide are supporting kids of St. Jude, go to playlive.stjude.org. So here's what happened is a proud member of the Butwado podcast community. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of So Here's What Happened. I'm your host, Nisha, and I'm joined always by... Carolyn. (laughs) Yes, and we are back to continue doing our recap episodes of Lovecraft Country. We do apologize for the slight delay. There are some scheduling issues on our end, but we are back to talk about this show. And we are excited because we have a special guest. And Carolyn, if you want to tell the people who our special guest is... Hello, everyone. So our special guest today is Perdita, and she is a writer. And so with that, Zita, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I um, am based in Austin, Texas. I am on Twitter at Perdita Patrice. Um, and I really, really enjoy television and pop culture in um, all of its forms. So I'm really happy to talk about what has definitely been a pleasant surprise of a show um, this this evening on this podcast. Yay. Well, we're glad you could make it. I'm glad glad I can actually be on an episode with y'all. As y'all know, (laughs) like I had to miss the last recap episode, but Oh, well, let's just get into get right into it. Carolyn, if you want to read the synopsis and we can go over episodes five and six. Mm-hmm. Okay, so episode five was titled Strange Case. And as everyone knows, this was a Ruby-centric episode. So the brief synopsis of it is, after making a devil's barking, bargaining with William, Ruby steps into the charmed shoes of a white woman. But her transformation only fortifies her resentment of the racial divide. I'm not too sure about that. But a betrayal by Montrose unleashes Atticus's pent of rage, leaving Letty deeply disturbed and sending Montrose into the comforting arms of his secret lover. Should I also give a description of um, episode six? Because we're going to do what we're going to roll into both. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's okay. go ahead and do it at the top. I think that's a good idea. Right. And episode six is titled Mimi in Daegu. So this one um, aired on September 20th. And in the throes of the Korean War, also known as the Forgotten War, go and read it up, go read up on your history, people. You're seeing student Jia crosses paths with wounded Atticus, who has no recollection of their violent first encounter. Drama. <laughs> that's a drama there. I, that's one I'm really excited to talk about. But first, let's mm. just. So, what were y'all thoughts on episode five? Uh, for me, you know what? No, let let Perdita go first. She's our guest. Perdita, you get to go first. Ah, um, so I sat in the dark and watched this episode like I watch every single episode every Sunday night. And I honestly, my brain felt like it was broken afterwards. Um, 
I was not expecting what I saw. Um, and I just literally, I, and I hardly ever do this. I restarted the episode as soon as it was finished. Hmm. That sounds similar to me. Where yeah, like I, I just had to rewatch it really quickly. Like I had I, I rewound I rewound it a little bit. Like let me just go back to this one part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, say, I, hmm. yeah. I think this episode up like as we're recording now, we've seen eight episodes so far, mm-hmm. and to me, this one is the best written and the best directed of all episodes. And the reason I say that is because a lot um a lot of clues a lot of individual clues actually come to me are actually revealed better in this episode and i think because it's um the storyline is so was i think more capsule than a lot of the other ones it was more it felt more cohesive to me and you really got to know um ruby and you are like we, we, we really finally got to spend time with her and um and it also has to do with the acting like the acting by Wumi Masaku is amazing but I also have to give props to the actress who played um Hillary mm-hmm. and um let me look up her name but, um uh da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, okay. okay I can't I'm gonna give her name a bit later I'm looking for it but I can't find it now my computer is playing the behind as usual <laughs> Um, but yeah, but I think that both of them did a brilliant, okay, her name is, is Jamie Newman. And I think that both of them did a brilliant job. And Jamie, I think, did a really good job of mimicking Rumi's mannerisms and, th- and actions as Ruby. And mm-hmm. um, and I got to give her a thing because like she's, she's a white woman playing a white woman who's on the inside, a black woman pretending to be a white woman. And it sounds very inceptionist, but I think what she did was she like she got a lot of like just a lot of the little details about how Ruby moves and how she talks. And it's funny because she still has to do it as a white woman. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that right. I think that I think that's also what made this episode. And I would also say episode six the strongest to me and that's because the acting to me and I would say episode three because Jeremy Smollett did her thing but for the two of these especially for episode five what those two actresses had to do made this episode stronger for me acting wise yeah the there's when you said mannerisms about Ruby there's that particular scene where she's talking to was it Tamara Mm -hmm. Tamara um, yeah Yes. So when she's telling she's telling her and kind of going off the hinges about what she saw later in the episode um, and or no, it's the one where she is she tells she finds out that Tamara didn't have all of the qualifications that she had. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. a moment where she picks up the lotion and kind of places it's it so the counter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Specifically, I was like, oh, OK, she really studied when the ability when it came to the mannerisms because it was the way she kind of cocked her hips back mm-hmm. and, and, and set the lotion down with a bit of a snap and was yeah, like yeah. ashy and I was just oh. <laughs> so you yeah, can really see was... Ruby without yeah. it being Ruby there I'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie there's like certain parts throughout that episode I'm like is Ruby though like mm-hmm. it, like she does such a great job of like they could have easily made that character made had the actress be like no 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 just you're, you're this white woman who's you know don't even worry about trying to mimic Ruby's persona but she yeah. does it well and I just like find myself be like 
that's Ruby inside of there for real, right? Because she just does that great of a job. But no, the, the, your hands are ashy. <laughs> Everything about it, the way she said it, the way she handled the lotion. <laughs> and the way Tamara just looks at her hands like, oh, they are. <laughs> oh, that is great. It's so good. Yeah, no, they, they, they were so good. But and the thing and and the thing about and I think what makes that their performance so good is because the subject matter of the episode itself is mm-hmm. about mimicking someone else. Because Ruby mm-hmm. is has t- literally taken on the skin of this white woman, and she's going around acting how she thinks white women act. But mm-hmm. she's okay, so she's trained not to let who she is as a person come mm-hmm. out, right? So she's fighting like every minute as she's Hillary, she has to suppress who she is as Ruby. And so, and so, and so it's kind of interesting. We see these two characters, these two actors doing this, but then it's also the central point of the story. And so I have so many thoughts about this episode. Um, and this episode is a, a thesis, uh, could be like a thesis statement in and of itself because it's about. Yes, yeah, about black women. It's about black women wanting to succeed in spaces created and dominated by white people. Um, and so you have like from the very beginning of the in the first episode, we knew that Ruby wanted to always work at this place, this Marshall Fields place, and she's overqualified. Right? She has more mm-hmm. than enough qualifications, and she's never gotten it because she's black. But then she's also not the type of black that they would want. And then we see that proven mm-hmm. with Tamara. Because Tamara is young, slim, thin, and and attractive, and Ruby's an attractive woman, but we all know it's all about European standards of beauty and all that kind of stuff, and who they determine to be attractive. And Ruby, and Ruby comes and she finds this black girl. She's like, "Oh, you don't even have the qualifications at all." Mm-hmm. And it kind of echoes back. And this is something I think the show has dropped the ball on, where it talks, um, where because there's this uh, a moment with Ruby and. And Letty, in the first episode, Letty's like, oh, I could get that job. And we know she could get it because she's light-skinned and, and right. like, you know, their idea of attractive and everything. And this is, I think this is where one of the biggest failings of the show for me is if you're going to talk about racism and all of these issues, how can you not talk about colorism? Mm-hmm. Right? And this episode, I think this episode would have been a good chance to also discuss colorism because both, because they're trying to set up Ruby and Tamara as kind of enemies. But the thing is, is they're also still both dark-skinned Black women. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think this is this would have been a great opportunity to highlight how the issue of colorism plays into racism itself, but they never do. And we're in episode eight and they never have and they still haven't. And I, we have two more episodes and I don't think they will. And that's one of my biggest problems in the show. But continue, ladies. What's your yeah. thoughts? On no, I, I agree with you because I thought that was something interesting too about it because like when they touch on colorism it's so light and it's it's really just about it's it's really just like how the relationship between ruby and like and leticia are like is like it's it's this it's just this gap in between their relationship and no one's just outwardly gonna say it like ruby will be like oh yeah i bet you would get that job over me yeah but it's like no one's gonna talk about it and then it's like there's so much you there's so much family drama with that family and I feel like we don't really get into the meat of the drama with them and I said that like going into like what we've seen so far and I don't know if it's just like is this just like supposed to be like you know black family drama like we just say like we sorry and I love you and we just sweep it under the rug or like are y'all gonna actually dig out the roots and talk about the root cause of y'all issues because it sounds like because they always bring up the mom 
They always talk about how mama was this and mama did that and I did. And then I found myself becoming mama. But then I'm like, but okay. I'm, I want to what know. <laughs> what what was mama's problem? What was, what was mama's problem? We still do not know what the situation was because when we see her brother in episode two, mm-hmm. we find out, okay, he's dark skinned like Ruby. Mm-hmm. But Letty is not dark skin mm-hmm. so something happened there's some other different daddy somewhere which right. makes me wonder exactly how letty came to be what her right. parents I think is, is, is the daddy white or is the daddy light skin because exactly. oh, so that's the thing because okay so we can we and the reason i think that they don't have the same fathers is that they never is that ruby and the brother never mentioned the father they never say our daddy right. or anything they keep saying our mom so you know they have the same mom so if and the mother dies, so you don't hear any reference of the father mourning the mother. So, like, did he pass away before? And if he did pass away before, they would have said, oh, mama died just like daddy or something. So, mm-hmm. but the fact that they, he's never mentioned in context at all makes me think that he's not related to either Ruby or the brother. So, I'm thinking that that is either light, that that is either light skin or white, mm-hmm. right? Because there'll be people that say, oh, you know, you can have two dark skin parents and have, to, yeah. But the thing is, is that he's extra, extremely light skin. She's white passing. Well, I really wouldn't white. say that. Not white passing, but she's she's not white passing. But we know that you know when like she's not as she is definitely considered more aesthetically as, on the European. European yeah, yeah. Of she has more privilege than them if she wanted to. Would she still be treated be treated like a black woman? Yes, but will she? Would she get that job or any job yeah. she wants? Yeah. She might. She would probably get more favor in in those right. particular. Oh, oh, for sure. And and the thing, and another reason why it bothers me that they haven't brought up colorism is with regards to Tick. How he went to South Korea, had an uh, had a, a South Korean girlfriend, came back, started a relationship with Letty, who is also um like light skin, and then and so you know what we say? Oh, he looks like he colorstruck, but. That's well, a possibility. But then, but, yeah, but then, but the reason I was, I, I had, I had that thought at first, but then there was in the, in episode six where, um, where we see Gia have the, the flash, the, the, um, the flashes of his, mm-hmm. of the future. We see him with the dark skin one who is not anyone we have seen before. So mm-hmm. I'm interested in that because, uh, I think we're, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to episode eight, but, I'm thinking she's actually George's mother. So this child that she's pregnant with is not going to be the son who writes the book. But I jumped ahead a little bit, but that just occurred to me. That that thought just occurred to me. Hmm. Right. I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so much more. And I do agree. I feel like I want this show to touch on, like going back to like what we had said, like I want the show to touch on the colorism thing, not just for it to be like this small little thing that they keep on digging at because now mm-hmm. do we know if we're gonna get is it are we only getting 10 episodes yes or okay it's like two more. more yeah so we're we only have two episodes left as of where we are right now and i just feel like the whole thing with letty and like her family i'm like is this ever gonna come to a head is this ever gonna get more re- are we gonna get more of a revelation or are y'all just gonna try and slam it all in at the end or do we get a second season? <laughs> like what? Because it just keeps coming up. What the the issue with colorism and um, Letty's relationship with Ruby does play into episode five, and it does play into I get I think a broader aspect of the show where because it does 
like there is resentment towards the sisters and not sorry there is resentment between the two sisters and they have a very at times acrimonious relationship and colorism does play a part in that because what Letty said in episode one and Ruby's reaction to that shows that it is an issue between the two sisters so the fact that we just have that little moment in episode one and it's never addressed again is a problem and with regards to episode five um, like the the whole issue is Ruby wanting to be accepted. She doesn't want to be accepted as a white woman. She just wants to be accepted. And then she says she's tired of mm-hmm. being interrupted. Where she where I where she's referring to her goals, like her like people inter like people interrupt her from achieving whatever it is that she wants to do, whether it's uh, performing on stage, um, singing, and like even again, like the first time we see the two of them in the same space is when Letty gets called up to the stage to interrupt. Um, Ruby's performance right and then again when when she meets William she's on stage and she's interrupted again by hecklers in the in the in the crowd she's at she 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 when she's if she's in the same if she's in the house with them she's interrupted and that so that's what she that's so that's her issue and like colorism does play into it racism plays into it sexism misogyny all plays into it and Minus the the colorism, it is touched on in episode five, and I I, I have issues with my my biggest issue with episode five is how Le, um, Ruby is assaulted. She's physically and mentally assaulted, and is never addressed in the show, which I think is a big feeling because yeah. William, who is Christina, drugs her, takes her up to his room. She's passed out, gives her a drug, which changes her into a white woman against her will and it is a violent as we've seen repeatedly the metamorphosis is violent and it's unpleasant and it's painful and as she described it as being unmade and it's never addressed in the show that what christina i.e william did to her was assault and it was violent and i have a problem with that i have a problem that this show is written by female writers directed by women and that kind of a, and that is never addressed. And the fact that it's an act perpetrated against a dark-skinned black woman, a black woman, is a bothers me extreme a, a lot. And it bothers me going into the rest of the, the show because it's something that we see repeatedly. We see this woman, we see Ruby repeatedly going through this extremely painful experience, like no one else has on the show, right? And I think the only other people that we've seen go through that kind of painful experience were the Asian men in episode six, um, who were the South Koreans, when Menjia um, Azagumi, when her tails, her nine tails come out and this, and it attacks the men. And and then for some stupid, I think, asinine reason, we see Christina attempt, I think, to, to experience what Emmett Till experienced when he was brutally murdered. And I'm like, so what is the point of this? Why is this violence continuously perpetrated against Ruby and that bothers me with this show and I think it's an issue with colorism and I know anyone listening to me might not agree with me and that's fine everyone doesn't have to I, I don't ask anyone to agree I want us to agree with me but this show has a problem with colorism within the writing itself right and the fact that you have Ruby and then you we see what happens to Diana in episode eight that disturbs me and I'm like are these writers sitting back and looking at what, what they're actually doing i'm like yeah you have your narratives to tell you have your story but are you looking at how it actually looks visually are you looking at what people are interpreting from what you yourself as a writer is doing uh, is doing with the characters and it bothers me honestly i think what bothers me with the whole thing with ruby and william 
slash Christina is like it bothered it, I want it to be addressed in greater detail mm-hmm. um because I do agree it, it is the whole like yeah no what Christina promised and all this other stuff and we get that like you know Christina's using Ruby as a pawn like as, as the story goes on it's definitely the more violating thing for me is like you didn't tell her you were going to like alter her body and tell her, turn her into a, a white woman, which I think is just like to show like Christina is just like a sociopath. And I don't know. And th- th- I don't know. We don't know what's going on in that crazy white woman's head of hers, but I do just feel like I, I'm not ex- obviously not excusing like any of the abuse that Ruby goes through. I'm just still trying to figure I'm like, so we're just cool with the, like I just need I needed to because like at the end of the episode I was just like you've been William this whole time I'm like I need a bit more <laughs> than just this I was waiting for like you know kill the bitch like, she lied yeah. she lied and yeah. you thought this, like that's what's more vi- the most violating thing to me and on top of like you know being lied to and your body being experimented on like it's mm-hmm. it's layers so I'm sorry Perdita what you did you want to add to? Yeah, that the, the okay. So there's a bunch of stuff going on with Ruby. I think internally that we don't get real exposition on, yes. and I think that does it a, that does a disservice to her narrative because mm-hmm. even as we move forward in um, the narrative, Ruby still doesn't seem to be playing with a full dick, and she's not a dumb woman. There's nothing about her that says, okay, well, she might be a little special or, um, you know, just kind of not self-aware in that sense. Um, So there's no real reason to have the reactions and responses that she's having when it comes to William, when it comes to the fact that Christina, and I honestly, I, I do blame the fact that Tick and Letty and them have not said anything about what they've gotten mixed up in to anybody standing next to them because there's there's enough danger to be like you know maybe we should warn our family and our extended mm-hmm. family just in case they get hit by a stray bullet yeah mm-hmm. and that's, that's another I think that's another failing in the writing itself is because this is 2020 how many films and tv shows and what and plots or whatever where we see Characters keep secrets from each other and see that it's to the detriment of everyone involved. And the thing is, if if Lovecraft Country is supposed to be such a forward-thinking show, why are you why are you persisting with an outdated trope that you know fans don't even like? Well, I mean, even with Hippolyta, knowing her just genius. George knowing her genius I don't know how much Tick knows and really understands the interior life of Hippolyta but somebody should be able to say you know maybe we should maybe we should talk to to the to Hippolyta about some of this we see um Tick and George's and Montrose's intelligence on display we see Letty's intelligent on on display but we don't really get to see Hippolyta until later on in the show mm-hmm. and we don't get to see Ruby all that much hopefully maybe we'll see something turn around with Ruby but we don't get a whole bunch of intelligence from her other than you know she's been to school and and, and I I, actually what I'm going to say for that is that I think the show has hampered the agency of all the female characters save for Letty Letty has the most agency 
of all the characters, all the female characters. And, and then apart from her, there's Christina. So you only have these two. One is a white woman. The other one is a light-skinned black woman. Have the most agency. Literally have the power to protect themselves because we see Christina impart the power, the pr protection power over um, Letty. But then we have Hippolyta and Diana and Ruby consistently placed in dangerous situations. But mm -hmm. I think that's for design, though. And I, think, I don't appreciate it. As I, a dark-skinned black woman, I have a problem with that writing. Because I don't think it's I don't think it's based on colorism though. I think that's based on the character that specific only because I think that these this three out of the four episodes that we're going to discuss, I think narratively they are companion pieces to each other about mm -hmm. what it looks like in black girlhood, black womanhood and then older black womanhood. But then mm -hmm. but then when you look at that all three of them are dark-skinned black women. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it's I, I'm not saying that it's that it's good or that it's I think that it's happening this particular way. It's not great. I think that Letty gets a lot more space in that mm -hmm. way. But I also there I noted that within these three, the ways that, that they're doing things in strange case I am in Jigabobo um, at they're exploring the lives of, of black women. Ruby mm -hmm. is angry and frustrated. She wants more but she can't figure out why she can't obtain it through respectability. Hippolyta is coming out of the other side of grief and understanding that she bought into respectability but there's nothing there in the end um, to a certain extent for her. And then Diana is learning one of the first and most repeated lessons of black girlhood is setting your pain aside in order to survive. Mm -hmm. you know? And that no one will be there for you but yourself. And I think yeah. you make a great point by pointing out like it's because like they're all at different stages in their lives. And I mm -hmm. think that's very important. I do think like if they if and if it was reversed, if let if like Letty was one of those stories being told. I don't think it could really explore the like the full breadth of like what a girl like if Diana was a light skinned black girl. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be explored the same way. And same thing like with Ruby and with Hi Hippolyta. I just don't think it would be explored in the same. It wouldn't be able to touch on certain things because it, it, it would be a different then, experience. And then I have a question. But to, to, I have a question to piggyback on this to introduce to this part of the conversation because I thought about it after we had uh, messaged each other the other night. Had Wumni been been cast as Letty and mm -hmm. Journey been cast as Ruby, that would have been interesting. Thank that would have been I we would have been able to see Ruby engage in tenderness. We would have been able to see mm -hmm. I mean, not Ruby, but um, Letty. We would have been able to see that character we get would all of those things. We would see Ruby getting black, um, we would see Ruby getting genuine love and affection, attention because she gets that from Tick, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we we would have we would be seeing Ruby in power. We would see Ruby claiming her womanhood and claiming her power as a woman. Whereas so far, we have only seen her in pain, being brutalized, being beaten, being downtrodden. We even have her being lectured about her blackness, for God's sake, by the yeah, most racist white woman in the entire show. <sighs> Christina, it's freaking episode eight, telling Ruby that she's not black enough 
because she doesn't care about Emmett Till's murder. Well, I mean, do we want to talk about that right now? Because I'm, I can, I can definitely talk about that right now. Well, we can get into that in the next in the next episode yeah. that we're gonna record because have pity on me record on editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I think it's, I think we're all making like Sorry, great points of it, like. It's all good. No, I think we're all like, because like, like to our points when before we started, like the show on one hand does a good job of connecting each episode, in my opinion. I think, and as it builds on each of them, like it's like you take another step forward with the story. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect, but like I think that like that's what they do, and they do it pretty well. Um, But what was I gonna say? Um, Oh yeah, with Christina, she just. I'm so tired of her. But like, in the, it, she just reminds me of every, like not every, she reminds me of a very certain white girl I had in my mm-hmm. like um, ethics class one time. And we were talking about if you could end people, someone asked the question, if you could end a problem in the world, so, um, racism or sexism, which one would you choose? And I said, it, it, I am both. I don't mm-hmm. separate my, my, my sex, my gender from my race. I, I am a black woman. I'm a, I was born a black woman and I will die a black woman. But Christina, to me, is just like that white girl in my class who was like, but you're a woman. Like, yeah, bitch, but I'm also a black, I'm, I'm a black woman. It's not an also, mm-hmm. I am a black woman. So it's just like, God, she is just like every form of toxic white feminism rolled into one. That yeah. is a great, great, I think she, yes. She That's is, the point. <laughs> she is exactly that. And I do think that she is using Ruby um, mm-hmm. to explore humanity because I don't think that Christina is, I think, I don't think that she has any humanity. I do think she's a psychopath. Oh. Um, but one of the things she's a that- sociopath, the sociopath can't connect empathetically. Psychopaths can, they just don't care. I mean, maybe she will well, at this point. She says she don't care. Paula Mattel, she knows it's sad. She don't yeah. care though. But what I wanted to talk about too in this episode is we've seen um, a specific type of white woman cosplaying as black woman or as black women, mm-hmm. um, and they don't know the struggle of being black. But there's something about watching this white woman who is actually a black woman, especially during the scene where she walks um, down the street with the poetry mm-hmm. of color girls on top. Yeah. Um, and it made me think that is exactly what those kinds of white women who cosplay as black women want. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to be the they want to be able to extract the the pain and the beauty and intelligence and creativity of black women and also feed on uh, the pain of it, I think, too. Mm-hmm. That desire to be marginalized, that desire to... I don't know why they eroticize the, the pain of racism. They just want to be oppressed so bad. Mm-hmm. But the thing um, is, I, th- I think it's about, like, like the data, data studies, they, they kind of eroticize, but it's also fetishization because mm-hmm. I think to them, they think it's some kind of cool, like, is this cool experience? Like, no, nah, nah, this is not cool. Mm-hmm. The things that our ancestors went through are not cool. The things that we go through still, the kind of racism and bigotry that I face living here in Toronto, is not cool. I don't, I'm not happy that we have these kind of, that we all have these things that we can relate to as Black women, as Black people. But they, they see it as, 
as oh they're like oh my gosh they're oppressed and oh my god they can't they can talk about things like black lives matter and it's a cool slogan or whatever and i'm like no that's not what it is and like and i do agree with dita like that when like, when she's as uh, walking on the street like it, that is kind of what they want to do mm-hmm. and the thing is is like christina is almost kind of like that because she her thing is she wants to she just wants to be in the spaces of white men she's one of those women who like their whole thing is i want to break the glass ceiling but i only want to break the glass ceiling for me because she's talking about access because she wants to get this access to the sons of adam because she believes it's her birthright and she thinks they're blocking her because she's a woman yes they are because they're chauvinistic pigs but also she's not trying to see I, i we don't see her talking about any women she doesn't have any female friends Right, she I don't think have... Christina is a person, though. I don't think she's a person either. Like, I know, no, I think she's like, I'm. I have a theory that she's just really a monster. She's a she lady. doesn't have any humanity in her at all, and she's <laughs> yeah. real dead behind the eyes. Yeah, and I and 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 the thing about that, oh my gosh, I had to think the thought because and it, and the real how you know that she is a monster is because the woman Hillary is the body of their, basically, her plantation's overseer. Remember in episode two, mm-hmm. that woman is the woman who has the gun that threatens them with the gun and the dog to get off the property and get away from the tower. If not, she'll kill them. And oh. the fact that Christina used this racist white woman's body to put Ruby in is another huge violation she that Ruby care. doesn't even know. Ruby has no idea. And that's another thing that I think is kind of weird, that Ruby never questions whose body am I in? The skin had to come from somewhere. And it does, and like we never see Ruby questions. It's like, I would be like, who the hell skin that am I wearing? And I'm like, hey. Yeah. Whew. It's a lot. And I think we, we, we got to get into episode six, but I, episode five is just kind of ties into the same thing because it's about whose skin these people are in. Because like Gia, played by Jimmy Chung, she is a, gumi, a, a, a gumio, which is a mythological creature um and so the gumia is a korean equivalent because um so the nineteen fossa is has roots in chinese and japanese culture and it came over into korea because of the chinese and japanese occupation of south korea or just a korea in, as a whole because at that time it was um it was korea and so the gumio is this nine-tailed fox. And as <laughs> and they think it's hilarious that they chose this for 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 um for her and that it was even written by a man, I think it should have been written by a woman, is because in Korea in particular, the gumio is seen as a, almost like a femme fatale iteration of this creature. Because in Japanese culture and Chinese, um, in, in Japanese culture, she's called um, a kitsune. And they are, they're tricky and they're sly and like, you know, like a fox and everything. But in South Korea, they're, they're like in, in 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 um in the mytholo- in mythology of South Korea, they're seen more as fem- as feminine and more fem fatalish. So I thought it was interesting that they had this episode and it was written by a man, and and it was written by a man. And the reason why I have that bothers me is because if you have a show that is so female centric, why why are you going to take a character like the Kumio who has a stigma who has a stigma against them in Korean culture? written by a man when when all the other episodes we know are written by women and i think and and the reason that also bothers me is the whole situation with the mother and no i'm not korean and what i know of korean culture is from reading and from and from reading and research and stuff but in south korea so south korea south korea is a very patriarchal society 
to this day. It's very patriarchal. It's all about um, status and, and symbol and wealth and everything. And when you're going to have a character like her in a show where you have women being violated repeatedly and when the character is a woman that is that is enacting violence upon upon men and then who and then who is supposed to be whose mother apparently allowed her to be raped by her stepfather i have a problem that it was written by a man that's just me but the other thing is with this character gia she's this creature living in the skin of someone who is not her who is not her so because she's she's like her mother has uh, like the mother basically went as shaman and called for this this creep this 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 the gumi to take over her daughter's body so that her daughter could have life after death if she was to take in the souls of a hundred men and i think that's interesting because it kind of ties into um ruby a little bit when we talk about the issue of metamorphosis and about changing and living in a skin that's not your own so i think that's how they that's how that's one thing with the show i think is that they are they do tie in specific um story elements very well and how they follow into the following episodes because then it kind of also ties into episode seven with hippolyta and her not uh, her not embracing who her who she is as uh, no sorry not embracing but her finding her her agency as a woman who's who was uncomfortable in the life that she was living that's a good point you sure you know okay um uh no i was just gonna say like that's a good point like connection to make between the three um episodes but like following up from episode five to episode six i think that's a good connection you know identities creatures living within different beings or beings living within different bodies however we want to say it um this one and again like not well versed in Korean heritage myself either um as a black woman (laughs) So I'm like, I won't, I, I don't know how, like, I'm going to be careful how, like, I, I comment on some stuff. But, like, I did like how, you know, this this episode, I think, I like it how it takes us out of Chicago, takes us from the main characters, and mm-hmm. it's showing us a different part of the world and what's going on there. And I think I like it especially because it find, it, it, it expands the uni- the world that we're in and shows that, like, oh, no. This creepy shit ain't just happening because it's tick. It's because of Atticus. This stuff is happening around the world. And that's why I was like, ooh, world building. I like this. Because like, what else is there out in the world? Like what other lore, what other what, what other folklore is out there that could potentially, you know, add to more things? Because I'm gonna say this. And like, here's my one problem with Atticus. Because and I'm glad that Letitia yells about Adam about yes, it. He thinks the world revolves around him. Mm-hmm. He really do, and he think he's the smartest person out of everybody. <laughs> and that is why nobody else knows what's going on and why people <laughs> keep getting put into danger. I think the actor does a great job. I like Atticus. I want to root for Atticus, but bruh. <laughs> it ain't about you all the time he just, so I like this episode not so much him being the central focus of it and just showing that like there's other things going around going on in this world and it's separate from this family in Chicago and I think mm-hmm. that, that's just for like the world building part of it because I'm like oh my god there could be so much more things that you know like the sh- this show could do mm-hmm. um depending on how it ends so mm. that was my, that was like something I really enjoyed about this one. But uh, what yeah. about you, Perdita? 
I adored this episode mostly because I got to see Jamie Chung do this, just kill this role, mm-hmm. just absolutely mm-hmm. slaughter this role. Um, it left me wanting more. I, I've watched the episode multiple times now um, because I want to know more about Gia, but I also want to know more about um, the information that she gets from the shaman at the end of the episode. But um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about how Gia becomes Agumi is that that situation with her mom her stepfather and so ultimately she ends up with all these memories not from her host not from the girl that was um she gets all her memories from men that she Mm -hmm. actually kills Mm -hmm. um so one of the things that is we see kind of weave through and I thought quite nicely through the, the story was just that she's learning about womanhood, love and romance through movies and her best friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's how she's getting all of her information about, about those three things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see her try different things out, which I thought was like a kind of sad sweetness was the speed dating. When the yeah. men and you notice the men get to choose, but Gia just kind of is there. But she's the one that actually has the power in all of this. Yeah, not just being a kumi, but mm-hmm. just as a woman, we're taught so early that men have to choose you, and yeah. it, you you want to be chosen, and you feel good if you're chosen, and if they don't mm-hmm. choose you, then you feel bad. Um, but she's sitting at that table with all the power as a woman, but she's also sitting at the table with all that power because she's a she's got nine tails. <laughs> she can literally suck the it, the life force out of a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, um, and to see her be unsure of herself when she's hunting, but then go out alone to seduce because she knows what she's got to get done. Um, that contrast, I really enjoyed watching her play in the shadows that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I think that's, I think one of my favorite aspects of the, the episode is just Jamie Chan's performance. Like she owns this episode. And that's the thing, one I, one thing I will say about all the female centric episodes, which is from episodes three, five, six, seven, and eight, because um, Diana, right. the, I, this is where I would say the casting is where they did a bang up job with the casting is all of these women and this, and the little girl, Jada Harris, um, plays Diana they are spectacular in their in these roles and they all shine and I that's what all despite the issues that I have I do appreciate that these episodes give these actresses the spotlight to shine and show us what they're capable of and it just and it, and it gives a depth to the characters and they make it work for them and they own these characters and these characters are them and for and for episodes just like Jimmy Chung she's just so powerful like she her, she's so expressive and uh, her eyes you just like look at her eyes you just like like you like you mentioned that like you can see the hesitation and the uncertainty in her eyes when she's sitting with these men and when she's and then there's the 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 ch- almost this childish childish manner when she's with a friend where she's looking at the friend and essentially almost mimicking her and then there's the moments where she's with the mom where she's this you can tell that she has this power 
with the mom and she's very forceful in the way she talks and she's very sure and she's very commanding but then when she's also with the, with the men she's very sensual and 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 she's very you know very sensual and all these things and jamie chung just did all did it all in this episode and yeah. and and the, the the episode i think talks about um um this i like there's sub themes in all episodes and i think this is episode six which is um, meet me and daegu it's mm-hmm. about um patriarchy and how women are um and even though it's set in south korea this is something that we as women are familiar with no matter where we live and it's about how we as women are taught to like humble ourselves in the presence of men to be more appealing to them and we're told that their opinion of us should matter more than our opinions of ourselves if we want to be seen as um suitable partners for for marriage and for and for and for uh, companionship when really and truly it also shows us that some, and this is the part I related to is like where, because I would have people use, like, people would always tell me, you need to be softer. You need to be, you need to be more gentle. Don't be you. I'm like, how am I supposed to be gentle? Smell more. I'm like, but if I don't feel like smelling, why would I smell? And she does this. She's softer. She's gentler. She's more flirtatious. And they still don't choose her. Right. And, and right. like they, and like even like with the last guy she met at the speed dating, he's like, oh, you're great. You're like, they have all these things that come, they like the same films, all that. And he's literally, he's taking the boxes. Oh, she got this, she got this. And then at the end, he still doesn't choose her. And it's like, what the hell do you want from us, right? And that's the part I really related to this episode. And and that's my favorite aspect of the of, of the episode is her, um, just her as a woman, who she is not only as a gumia, but just as an individual. Because it shows you also that no matter what age we are, women are always, we are always self-conscious. Like we, we do have, we struggle with self-esteem and we struggle with seeing ourselves through men's eyes and then learn to then learning to see ourselves through our, our own eyes. And I think that's the strength of this episode for me. So that's where I would say also, again, even though I have mm. promised that the guy's a writer, male writer, I think he did do a very good job with showing that in the script. And then Jamie also um, showing that in her acting and also the directing and, and, I, I have other issues with the I have issues with the episode, but we'll get into that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I I like that. Uh, no, sorry, I thought there was a lag, so I didn't want to like oh, jump oh, in okay. too fast. So I was making oh. sure. No, and I was gonna say, um, I I do applaud it for doing that. Like, and I I do really like that we've had like in a row, Diana, Hippolyta, Ruby, um, Gia. So five five female focused episodes i'm like i think that's great because i do think that's nice to like have that time focus on these characters i liked i definitely did like how i didn't think we were going to get this much out of this episode for her Mm -hmm. and i was really impressed that we did because it could have so easily been made an episode about atticus in (laughs) vietnam and then him meeting this woman and falling in love with her and all this stuff. And I was just like, cause like from the, from the clip, like from the, for the next episode of it, I'm like, Oh, we just going to see Atticus in when he was in Vietnam and like some flashbacks and stuff. And I was just like, well, I am pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am yeah. pleasantly surprised that this was not all about Atticus. Mm. Well, I kind of feel like this whole show really isn't about Atticus. I think they right. kind of sold it like it was going to be a hero's journey, but mm-hmm. it's really been an opportunity to explore the inner lives in a real way of Black women, mostly. And then we yeah. have the Korean woman 
where we've had an opportunity to really just kind of sit with her story um, Mm. uninterrupted. And I feel like Atticus is more of like we are running into these women because he kind of is a narrative thread that's going through it, but I don't think he's the focus. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in where we end, I think, is still more of a focus. We know more about all the women on this show than we do about Atticus. And that's fine with me. I mean, he's nice Mm -hmm. and pretty to look at and he, they doing a real good job acting and everything, but Mm -hmm. we still, uh, there hasn't been a, a set exploration beyond the first two episodes of Atticus and George and Montrose. I think that's going right. to be episode nine. Um, I agree. I think that's going to be episode nine. But even as you said, like, he is the common denominator mm-hmm. amongst all of these. And even going, I think going into episode nine and ten is where we might finally see um, his history. And it's going to revolve around women because it's going to be about, I think it's going to talk about his mom and, and her and her ancestry. Uh, we have yet to see, but I think that might be it. So then again, um, but I think that's the thing. One of the things that the shows is because like we always talk about black women being the um, the backbone of black, the black diaspora and the black community, and it's true. And basically, this is the pre- the premise of this show is that black women are the the backbone of of um, tick story. And even um, Gia, she's kind of like um, she serves as a perp as as this connection to him learning something about his future that he never had any clue to and it's also a pivotal point of his his past as a soldier because the show picks because the show started with him returning from the um, war in South Korea and and I'm wondering if she's going to be a connection to the to the creatures because of her her supernatural abilities but the thing is is this episode, episode six, in my mind, solidified my kind of started dislike for Tick. I really don't like him as an individual. He's shallow. He's arrogant. He's self-centered. And he's selfish. And this episode kind of shows that. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, because this is where, where this is the part that bothers me, is we see him, that our introduction to Tick in the episode is him shooting um, Gia's best friend. Mm-hmm. And she's angry at him rightfully so because he just killed her best friend and two other and one other woman um because the thing during the with the south korean war is um they were arresting south koreans as communist um sympathizers and we see we see like a man get hung which i did not like i don't like that that they did that because what us as black people it would be triggering for us to see a black man hung on screen i'm sure it would be triggering for south koreans to see a a south korean man hung on screen too considering their history and i didn't like that they actually kept the shot and that bothered me and and they did it with gs friends getting killed whereas we see their brains splatter on the ground and the camera stays there and i'm like that's gratuitous and unnecessary and 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 we see we, we like beca- and because the camera forces us to look at these characters, these women dead on the ground bleeding. Gia's introduction to take is she finds him in the hospital. He's wounded, and she's determined to get revenge. And in two twos, thoughts of revenge are out of her head because his mojo is that strong, and he likes he likes classic movies too. And I'm like, 
there's context though. I think there's context though. Yeah, I, no, I honestly I do. I there's a lot of context that happens in between those spaces. I, I know there's just yeah. things being attracted to him and all of that, but I it's not about attraction though. That yeah. whole relationship. I I felt like they did it enough to where they could justify it when we bring in the context of what Gia is actually going going through. Mm-hmm. She's we talked a little bit about the fact that she's actually learning about womanhood through mm-hmm. movies, through Judy Garland, mm-hmm. um, that her memories are the memories of men, but even the memories of the actual Gia are through the lens of the man who raped her mm-hmm. and abused her. So she's dealing with the male gaze in Every situation that she has has taken in her best friend has actually given her a more real life version of what womanhood is, but also she's not getting any love from her mother. So Mm -hmm. she's and she's not getting the intimacy that happens between mother and child. She's actually getting that because I thought those couple of times where they touch hands where I was like, is this romantic best friend? Yeah, uh, there was, was a couple was of times. Oh, and, but I realized, I realized that it's just that it's intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's, and Gia's never known intimacy with a woman before Yeah, and, that you have with your girlfriends or with your mother. So then by the time Tick comes along, she's she's getting a steady diet of romance, intimate romance through movies. And we know how detrimental that can be. Oh, especially but, black films by white people. It's all because uh, it's, it's all white people films is what she's watching. Exactly. And, and they kind of hint at that because in the beginning, like the one of the men she meets, he was like, uh, you're, oh God, what was the line he, he said? He was, he was he, he's sitting up watching propaganda. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I thought it was super interesting because even now, Sophia is very enamored with um, white acceptance, white Western and white American in particular, white thing in particular, we see that a lot. So I was like, when he said that line, I was like, snap, okay. And she doesn't have any concepts of those kinds of things right. yet. So she's taking all of these things in and she wants to have a chance to be loved because she has not have, had that at all. So the only other way to possibly be loved is through a romantic relationship. So she's dealing with the grief of her her best friend being murdered in front of her and her coworkers. Um, She's not human. Her mother's constantly reminding her of, you need to do what you need to do, which is get to the hundredth man so you can leave and my Mm -hmm. daughter can come back. Um, And she's constantly telling her, you're not human. You're not even worthy of love. No one can love you. So you have all of this mixing in and then you have a man who ultimately she fixates on for vengeance and she's going to do this but somebody who actually sees her not as a monster mm-hmm. not as a tool not as a nurse not as the weird girl who quotes Judy Garland films during speed dating but her and so mm-hmm. that throws a wrench in her vengeance plan so i bought it because of the context that we have about who she is at the time 
in what she's going through. I didn't think it was just like, oh, because a lot of the times they do play it like, oh, you know, you're just in love with him because they they told you to be in love with this this character and he's the lead. And that's the only reason you have behind it. I feel like she has actual. Yeah, she has something to really stop and consider because of what she's looking for. Hmm. And just that's yeah, exactly. And I think that's what I liked about the character so much is because like that's what made me want to rewatch it immediately again and be like, hold on, let me just go back because it it just I think it is very much a trope where you know you killed my father, you killed my brother, my best friend. Insert person I love and am close to, and the person that killed them, you somehow fought. You go from enemies and seeking vengeance to lovers. So like mm-hmm. that, it's a trope. It's a, it's a thing. And it, like, it works. And I like, as watching a lot of anime, I see that a lot in anime. So <laughs> at least here, it actually made sense how they ended up where they ended up. But I think a big part of it is had Jihad like had the love and intimacy mm-hmm. and closeness that she had, like should have had, with mm-hmm. like friend, like friends and family, I don't think her and Atticus would Atticus would have worked. I don't think they would have ever been together. But like her being a monster who is seeking a place in the world where she's told that she doesn't belong and isn't accepted, and like she's just trying to find her way. And like, I mean, it it just makes me think of like I don't know. I f- I feel like there's plenty of examples, but you know, like when a it's like when the robot becomes sentient and it's like, mm-hmm. am I human? Am I like, I have these feelings. I have, I have these emotions. I bleed like a human. I eat like, a like I am human. I deserve love like other. Hu- so it's like, she, she kind of makes me think of that. Um, you know, like she's, she wants to be loved and she wants to be accepted in this world as a human woman, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's just, yeah. And then yeah. like we can kind of start wrapping this up so we can get to the next two episodes. But it's like, but that's what makes the ending so like heartbreaking for her. And I'm like, dang, she didn't deserve this. I know. Also, I was like, I was like, you're just gonna run out there, but I'm like, I would freak out too. But I'm also like, at least this chick before. don't know what he knows. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And can <laughs> that's we- why I was just oh go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I was gonna say, can we talk about the sex scenes a little bit? in uh, oh, yeah. this episode it. and the other episodes what I've noticed and they've done a fantastic job with this is that when we see first off they give us female gays quite a bit um they're whoever said we put an Atticus in these tank tops and these extra medium shirts thank you Um, and then but in the sex scenes in particular I have noticed that it's not gratuitous breast shots Mm -hmm. gratuitous full frontal um, naked women in every single sex scene we're not focusing on body parts like I've seen in other shows it's not every single episode we gotta see somebody's titties I am so thankful that they're able to do (laughs) that people are learning how to do sex scenes and intimate scenes with real care Mm -hmm. no i agree like um because even in the first um the first scene with ruby and uh william 
uh, most of the naked, most of the nudity is uh, is focused on on William. You know, mm-hmm. it's more about his back, his chest, his bum, his buttocks, and his thighs. And it's the same thing for the scene um, because it's just we we just get one, no two, sorry, two scenes in um, in episode six with 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 Gia and. Again, it's more focused on the men on the men's bodies. Yes, we see her breasts and everything, but the camera doesn't linger and make it feel like you're being a voyeur. It's just about you're in. It's just like you know, it feels natural. The camera's in this space, and these two people, and they're having this moment, and you see more of the man's body than the women's body, and I appreciate that. Now, if only more people could do that, and there's a way to film it, even if you show full nudity, where it it seems more sensual mm-hmm. rather than voyeuristic, where I don't feel right. like I'm. I, I feel like I'm an observer rather than a warrior. And there's a difference. It's more tasteful. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, everything y'all said. I'm just going to, like, piggyback off of everything y'all said. I just feel like you can show hot, steamy sex scenes and it not have to be ass and titties. Like, specifically women, female ass and titties. Like, because I just, to y'all point, like, I think it is very telling when a sec- when you can tell a sex scene is made for the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, this doesn't, this isn't, this just makes me feel very uncomfortable watching it. Yeah, yeah, I've I've watched, especially those hyper violent like Cinemax shows like Banshee <laughs> or Quarry. Mm-hmm. Those in particular, looking back on them, and the, I tried, I re tried to rewatch Banshee not too long ago, and it doesn't really work that well anymore. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed about the white women that are presented in these shows is it's always tv titties of course there's only one kind of breast type if you've if only thing oh you know yeah human body right on the chest right there yeah they're not sitting on your chest they're just kind of hovering there them teardrop yeah. titties um and then on top of that they have to be shown in every single episode and it doesn't even have to be in relation to anything. She just got to have her top off. And so right. it's something that is incredibly violent because we've seen people be massacred in this show. Um, but also to be able to have moments of sensuality, intimacy um, between characters that are either falling in love or in love with each other has just definitely been welcomed in that it is not exploitive against these actors and actresses that um right. are doing such an awesome job something just occurred to me have we ever seen letty's nakedness in her scenes with tick we see her back and you see side boob when they have sex in the garage yeah and we so see- and I maybe like a glimpse i want to say like you do see some- some- oh and she did actually you do see it her backside because she does strip down Mm. everything okay okay i was just wondering because i was just like wait don't see much of anything i think we see her Mm. her buttocks at some point in the i think we saw a little bit of nipple this last episode yeah but for the most part even then it's just been all the nakedness that she was doing back in strange case mm-hmm. um they were still very much they shot that really well to where we didn't have to constantly see all of her business yeah i think right. we saw her mostly from the side and just the top when I mean, she was mm-hmm. on the stairs because she right. stripped down and yeah because we saw her back she wore that dress that dress like i always gotta i always gotta give props to the costume designer 
and the and this and the and the team because like they got they got Wumi they got Wumi looking all tight and ready and those dresses like yes mm-hmm. after looking proper every episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um. So we're, so we're gonna wrap up this one and uh, what will be our final thoughts on episode five and six? Perdita, you can if you if you ready you you go you the guest. Okay. Um. So episode five, I hope that uh, Ruby gets smart in mm-hmm. that she understands that respectability politics will not be what saves her, that Christina will not be what saves her, that she is going to have to figure out how to save herself. Um, she's tired of being interrupted. I understand that. But William, Christina, not your friend, girl. It's going to end badly for you if you're not careful. As for uh, Meet Me in Daegu, uh, I want to see more of Gia, point blank, period. I want to know more of her story. I want to know where what's coming next because the shaman had words for her. Um, I'm glad that she left her mom and came to Chicago, even though and I'm sure we'll get into it, how uh, Tick responds. But uh, yeah, just give me more Jamie Chung, period. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the thoughts about Ruby, yes. I need, I need girl to get a clue and get an idea and, and, and embrace and, and, and utilize some common sense because she thinks that she's going to be working with Christina. And uh, I don't know if she thinks that Christina is going to give her the power to form her own um, magical Black woman set. And it's like, no, Black woman, you can't get power from a white woman. You need to find that power for yourself. Because anything you get from Christina is going to be corrupted. And I need Ruby to wake up and pay attention and see Christina for who she is. And I need her to do it quickly. Um, because I have a fear that she's going to end up more lost at the end than she was before. And and with regards to um, with Gia, I can't wait. I think she might end up being an asset because we saw her come. We're, well, we're going to talk about it episode eight, but we saw her come back. But she has supernatural abilities. And is I think it's beyond the nine, what her nine tails can do physically to men. Uh, and it also makes me wonder, so she did say she slept with the hundredth man. She's still there. So what about the daughter? Did, was the, did, did the daughter come back? And if so, how? Or is the daughter gone? And then what happened to the mother? So there's that question about Phrygia. And I just need, yeah, I just need Ruby more above all, just to put Christine in her place, tell her to shut the hell up and to be gone. <laughs> yeah, for me, I definitely, I think all of us unitedly just want better for Ruby, but also I need Ruby to smart enough too, because like, I feel like she's going to find herself dead if she don't like Ruby. It's, it's a lot, but I just, I want Ruby to come out of this alive. I want her to survive. Um, Other final thoughts. I want Atticus to know the world don't revolve around him. Uh, (laughs) Y'all can say, like, I love, (laughs) I want to love him. But I'm also fed up with him sometimes. They said, you, you, just because Uncle George ain't there don't mean you're the smartest man in the movie. Bro. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, uh, I'm the line. Yeah. Right. But, you know, we go get there. So, yeah, no, that's my final thoughts on it. But with that, we can wrap up. 
Um, Perdita, if you want to plug and let people know where they can find you. Um, and, uh, yeah. yeah. You can find me at Perdita Patrice on Twitter and Instagram. That is P-E-R-D-I-T-A-P-A-T-R-I-C-E. Um, I am regularly there being inappropriately lusty and tweeting at random about shows I'm watching. So mm, I love it. Love that energy. <laughs> You can find me, um, Carolyn, on Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12. So that's C-A-R-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. You can find my writing on butwhythepodcast.com, comicsbeat.com, and a whole host of other uh, websites. And also because we've been in quarantine um, and everyone is doing everything virtually, as for the African-American Film Critics Association, what we've been doing this past summer is virtual roundtables with um, Black creatives in the film and television industry and also activism. And for our, some of our latest episodes, we've done a discussion with a roundtable discussion with um, actress Samuel L. Jackson and his, and his wife, actress Latanya uh, Jackson about their latest project called Enslaved. It's a six-part um, mini, mini docu-series on Epic's um, TV and it's about the during the journey that captive Africans were forced to take across the Atlantic Ocean during the transatlantic slave trade. It's about these, especially in particular, about um, six ships that went that that were lost during um, the, the the voyages and about the slaves that were lost during these voyages and about the connection between Africa and the African diaspora across the Caribbean, South America, and North America. And it's it's a really great series and I would recommend anyone to go and watch it. And you can also find the round table on the Africa website and the YouTube channel. And um, we've also done a round table with the cast of P-Valley, you can also find more recently an interview with um, politician Stacey Abrams. Um, I didn't take part in that because me as a someone who is not American thought it was not my place, but you can go listen to that round table and also um, look out for more coverage for Lovecraft Country. And um, also... This is the last thing I'm going to mention. Um, I've been doing just, just a short series of TIFF coverage interviews with uh, fellow Black female film critics. And you can find my interview with um, Kathia Woods about her favorite film, which was one in Miami, directed by Regina King. And by the time this comes out, it will be, I will have another one posted up with um, TIFF um, program manager Robin Citizen about her favorite film at the festival, which was documentary 40 Years, in, 40 Years a Prisoner, directed by... Um, Tommy Oliver, and you'll find it on the butwaythepodcast.com site as well. So, Nisha, take it away and end this. Uh, end this. <laughs> yeah, I have one more thing regarding Africa. We also did a roundtable with writer, producer, director Rada Blank about her film 40, year, 40 Years, uh, 40 Year Old Version, which is a, which was uh, it's a hilarious film, and it, I say it's a film written for Black women by a Black woman, and it's about hip hop, grief, relationships, and just aging. And it's a brilliant film. It's hilarious. Like, as if you're a black woman, if you're a special black woman in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you will relate a lot to this film. And it will be premiering on Netflix October 9th. And for we spoke to Rada for her um for, for about her film. And also you can find my interview with the cinematographer Eric Bronco, who also worked on 
Clemency, which stars Afri Woodard, on the butwhythepodcast.com website as well. So that was part of my Send That's coverage, which was where the film premiered this year. This year is extremely long. It feels like Sundance was last year, but it was really this year. January seems forever ago. But you can find that. You can also find our interview with her on the Africa website and YouTube channel. So make sure you go and check that out and also read my interview. Sorry, listen to my interview with Eric. Um, yeah, that's the last thing. Sorry. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, you know, y'all can find me also on Instagram and on Twitter. My new handle, same account. New handle is Nisha Plays. That's just one word. No more underscores so people can find me easily. Easily, And yeah, y'all can find me. I got some cosplays coming up on my Instagram and that will drop on my Twitter. So, you know, it's spooky season. I figure why not do a few extra ones? But that's about it for me. Besides, you know, the regular manga coverage and other things. And also the fundraising that we've been doing... You're right. Let me, yep, let me close the show out with that. So, guys, at, for the month of October, we and other podcasters along in the But Why the Podcast community are helping raise funds for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital with St. Jude Played Live. And if y'all could ever be so kind and want to learn more, and if you want to donate or, and are able to donate, you can do that at stjude.org forward slash But Why Though, where if you donate $15, I will eat nasty candy corn. And if you donate and select a challenge for Carolyn, she'll sing a song. So, and there's other challenges and other milestones. I got to do a TikTok dance and a cosplay if we get to $2,000. And we only like $700 away from that now. So I don't know, just we doing it for the kids and it's fun. So yeah, but I think that brings us to a close. So here's what happened as a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. Hey guys, welcome back and happy.